Welcome to the Frontline Response to Health and Homelessness podcast series. This series is based upon the articles published in the March 2020 edition of Parity Magazine. It gives voice to those with lived experience of homelessness, those working on the frontline, and those that support the sector in delivering services to people who are homeless. My name is Dan Fleming, and I'm delighted to introduce our host, John Willis, who leads the inclusive health team for St Vincent's Health Australia. John will introduce our guest in a moment. As we're recording during the COVID-19 pandemic, John and our guest will be with us by phone for this episode. John, over to you. Thanks, Dan. And it's my wonderful pleasure to uh, introduce Ellen Longbottom, who's a nurse unit manager at the Homeless Health Service at St Vincent's Hospital in Sydney. Welcome, Erin. How are you going? I'm great, thank you, John. Oh, it's great. It's a busy time. So thanks for your time for this little podcast series. Um, basically, you've been working in the area of homelessness for quite a long time and you've spoken publicly and I've, I've listened to a beautiful interview you did on the ABC about homelessness in general. But today's conversation, we really wanted to focus in on that article that you uh, put in Parody Magazine, which was all focused around the Homeless Assertive Outreach and Response Team. All that wonderful acronym, HEART, love it. Um, so let's let's kick off with the first question. In this article, you outline that there's a whole bunch of different agencies involved in HEART, not just St V's, so it's not just a St Vincent service. So can you tell us a little bit about how and why this team was created and what it actually does? So this is something I'm very, very passionate about, and I've been with uh, the HEART since its inception, and before its inception in about 2015. Um, so I think the reason I feel so passionate about it is because I feel that for our clients and for people experiencing homelessness, the more cohesively that services work together, the better for them and the more likely they are able to be accessing services. So obviously we know that um, people experiencing homelessness have a range of health and social, psychosocial needs um, and all sorts of needs, really. And if you have services that can gather together and provide a collaborative response to people and go and see them where they're at and take them at face value for what's going on for them at the time, uh, then that essentially just cuts through so much red tape that people would otherwise have to go through. Mm. And we've got a very... Um, sophisticated and good quality health system, but when it's in silos with other elements like housing and social support, it does create a lot of problems, doesn't it? It really does. I think the the issue lies just within that we all work quite differently. We have different systems. Um, we all have different expertise, and we don't necessarily understand what each other does, but when you can see what the other agency is doing in front of you, when you understand what they do, you understand the workers on that team, you have relationships together where you have you know, great working relationships, I should say, then that is just so beneficial for us, for the clients, for the other services. It all just is much more cohesive. Mm. Now, as you know, this, this uh, edition of Parity had the, the particular focus on health and homelessness, which is exactly mm. the work of your team. But... Why, why has there been so many issues around homeless people accessing the healthcare they need, do you think, from your perspective? Because healthcare systems are really complex. For one, 
I think that's really one big outstanding issue. There's a few things I'll, I'll obviously talk about here. But, I mean, I remember when I first started within the homeless health service, somebody said to me, if we have so much trouble navigating the health system, what chance does somebody with poor health literacy, with other things going on, you know, with have a chance, have a, how would they ever have a chance of navigating it? And I think that's the key message really is that it is really complex. And we say we've got a great healthcare system, but it's not built up for people to easily access, to be honest with you. Mm. If you look at how rigid appointment times are and, you know, how tricky certain things are to access, um, you often have to have quite specialised knowledge about certain things. Um, and you also have to have a phone uh, to be contactable, to often have a home for services to go out to if, if they provide some kind of outreach service, you know, things like that. So there's a lot of challenges there. But also there's, a, yeah, there's another reason, big reason as well that I think is quite a key thing, and that's that it's not a priority for people often. So if you're looking for somewhere to go to sleep, if you're looking for... Uh, just to find something to eat if you just need, you know, if you're um, trying to get your, you know, money, uh, if you're worried about your accommodation, the thing that is last on your mind really is probably a sort of health issue that may not seem as important as, as those things. Mm. Okay, well, just wanted to move on to the um, quote that Clay makes, um, your Aboriginal health worker in this article makes a quote, and he talks about, how hard is actually the heart of people doing their job? People actually care about them. I, I suppose my, well, the question I had is how difficult is it to care about people you're working with, um, but also ensure you look after yourself? Look, I feel that we are really lucky as employees of St Vincent's Hospital Sydney that we've got so many supports in place to make sure that we are well cared for. And I think in the end, you know, so there's a lot of things there, such as clinical supervision, um, the employee assistance program. We have a lot of peer support, so we work, we look after each other as a team, mm. and we all sort of understand our client cohort. And I do know that a lot of the other services involved in Heart have similar systems in place as well. Um, and I think, you know, there is, I guess, a, a certain amount of vicarious trauma that we experience often mm -hmm. and I think it's just you know a lot of our team you know manage that through all forms of self-care um, they all have their different ways but we do talk about it regularly around how I guess to manage that yeah. as a service. Yeah, so a couple of other interviews, Erin, we've had, we've talked about that the trauma that um, homeless people have experienced is often a big contributor for them being um, in the situation they're in, and I'm sure that vicarious trauma is a, a significant issue to manage. Mm. One of the one of the other questions that, that, I, that I had here on on my list was that we've we've often talked about the provision of healthcare for vulnerable populations. There needs to be an increased focus on the social determinants of health, not just the physical health issues. And in some ways, I, I suppose I wanted you to talk about how in the way the heart goes about it, this collaboration. How do you see it addressing those wider needs of people that you're working with? Well, heart, we're not about physical health, and often health is the sort of 
last person to be brought in almost because the most pressing needs often for someone is housing, to be honest yeah. with you, and accommodation. Yeah. Um, but I, I think looking at your question slightly more broadly, the whole premise of HEART is the um, providing a trauma-informed response to the yep. situation. So if you look at the way of trauma-informed care, we as services are all trained in trauma-informed care. And part of trauma-informed care is acknowledging that so many of our clients' past histories have contributed to where they are right now. And if often the past trauma that they've been through has, has caused, you know, so so much, um, you know, it's such a big contributing factor towards what's happening for them and and towards their health issues that they're experiencing. So not physical health issues, but mental health issues and drug and alcohol issues. Um, and so these are all really significant things. And I think when we look at trauma-informed care, a lot of what it, trauma-informed care is is not having to repeat the story of knowing who you're going out. So we do that. We, we You know who you're going out to see. We don't always know who you're going out to see. Obviously, we, we see new clients all the time, but the aim of it would be that they don't have to retell their story, that we are all working together so they don't have to apply for housing 15 times or see different workers all the time. We, we try and make sure that people get the same workers and that you know all those sort of like small things you can do to really provide that trauma-informed response is key in the way that we respond, and that is addressing sort of those other social determinants as well. Like, And I think we're really conscious of other things too in terms of like social isolation and those other psychosocial things which really have an impact, and they're really quite tricky things to manage, especially when people move indoors, um, mm. which we have to also navigate as a heart group as well because... It's really tough. Moving indoors is really hard, and I think you know that's quite a, a tricky time for people. Mm. We've, we've we've had a conversation with John, one of your peer workers, and he t and he talked uh, quite a lot about that particular mm. situation of um, moving from homelessness into some kind of indoors and how difficult and challenging that can be. Um, but that collaboration also that you talked about, Erin, about between the agencies so someone doesn't have to tell their story multiple times, that is brilliant. I think that's um, one, of the, one, of the, one of the gifts of your team by the sound of it. Yeah, I, I do believe that. And I, I mean, it, it's not always perfect, but I think it, it really does reduce that for people. Yeah. Well, look, it wouldn't be right if we didn't ask you a COVID-19 question. So, look, I, I, the particular question I had there, I, I don't know how relevant it is to you right now, but what, what do you see as the emerging issues for people who are homeless at the moment during this particular COVID-19? And what do you see as some of the, maybe some of the positive outcomes that might be developing at the moment? <laughs> Well, this is a, a can of worms, let me tell you. So the biggest issue the biggest issues we have found have been to start with, we had saw a bit of an increase in homelessness because of um obviously the economy. Yep. Um, unemployment. Yep. Yep, unemployment. Uh but I and you know, I guess other things contributing to that as well. Um, I've also heard, obviously, there's a bit of an increase in family violence. 
through this mm -hmm. time. There's a few, few of those things to consider as well. Um, but I guess the we're really tricky and hard thing is that you know really basic needs are, are much more difficult to get met right now because mm -hmm. so many services um, can't provide the level of service they once did. So getting food, finding a shower, clothes, um, basic needs like that are, are much more tricky at this time. And I think it will become the new normal. People will get used to it. They'll get used to where to find things. But it, it really changed very drastically overnight, which meant we had a lot of hungry people. And I think, you know, that's been challenging because with physical distancing or social distancing, um, you might have one food service that's providing food to a lot of people. But because people are hungry and they're all coming to the one service that might be open, social distancing is very challenging in that situation. So yeah. there's quite a few of those kind of sort of more practical um, on-the-ground issues. But I think the other really big issue that we're having right now is that we don't have any accommodation available for anybody who needs to quarantine or isolate. So that, right. as a health service, is very, very challenging. Yes, and I've heard in Victoria they, they have um, looking at a facility there to help to deal with that issue, which is which is wonderful, but yeah. that's something that's outstanding for you guys in Sydney by the sounds of it. Well, we've been looking into it too, John, but unfortunately everything, everything we've tried has been sort of unsuitable and unfortunately there's no... Um, hotels that will take anybody at the moment that we've found that will that are quarantining or um, require isolation and those oh, are okay. really vulnerable people so it has been it's something we're certainly working on intensively around the clock but it's yeah um, at the moment if somebody needs either one of those things they have to essentially be admitted to hospital yeah not ideal well no. good luck with good luck with that one um, and we'll be uh, interested to hear yeah. how that goes yeah, well, on a positive note, however, magically, yeah, there has been a lot of accommodation sounds for people who are sleeping rough. So, and people are quite quickly moving indoors, and people who often have a lot of barriers to getting into temporary accommodation um, or into housing have been provided with temporary accommodation at this time, which is quite unusual, obviously, because um, usually there's so much red tape and so many red barriers, so many uh, barriers to people that often have quite complex needs. It's been quite refreshing that to not have to face some of that, um, and yeah. that people are actually you know getting put into hotels and and temporary accommodation, which is great. Any chance that that temporary accommodation might become longer term? Well, they're all hotels, so it's not long term. Mm. Uh, no. But I imagine okay. it will be for the length of time that you know we have to do this for COVID, um, but. In that time, hopefully, people will be trans, uh, trans, transitioned into temporary, uh, to permanent accommodation. So they'll be found housing and other options. Well, thanks, Erin. We're coming to the end of our time together. And the last question I had was, maybe you could tell us a story or an encounter or an experience that's inspired you and keeps inspiring you to um, do the work you do. Uh, to be honest with you, I think that, one of the things that has really inspired me, because probably about uh, so about a year ago, I came back from maternity leave, and I came back to my role, and I was the nursing unit manager, 
as the nursing unit manager and I really struggled to be honest when I came back um Mm -hmm. and I think just getting back into the job and it was quite there was a lot of things going on and it's quite overwhelming uh and I sort of thought oh is this really where I want to be and about that same time that I came back from mat leave a new staff member started on my team otherwise known as John who was an amazing peer support worker and he um basically was really has really just made my last year I would say working with him and his insights into homelessness and his whole journey and the experience that we've both been on together working together and we work closely together has Mm. really really been inspirational to me and I think Obviously, you can listen to his story in another podcast, so I'm not going to retell it. It's his story to tell. But I would say that he he inspires me, and, and he inspires me his strength and his, his courage and what he does every day, and, and, you know, it really inspires me. And, it, and working out the peer work role and the challenges that, that we all face and every day, you know, just, nutting out what it is and, and how we incorporate it into everything has actually meant that I enjoy, you know, it's been a real challenge in a good way because it's kept me interested and I think and it's just been really incredible. So he's really inspired me and I I think that that is, you know, the story that I that probably has been most significant to me over the past year. Fantastic. Yes, we did have a wonderful conversation with John. He's uh, an absolute inspiration. But Aaron, so are you, and he spoke very highly of you, I must, I must say. But thank you so much for your time and for, for sharing a bit with us about um, the work of heart. And for those that are listening, I think that idea of collaboration between agencies working with those that are living on the streets is a really important um, model and it goes so far so far from making things a lot easier for people living on the streets to get access to the care they need. Thanks again Erin. Until next time. Thank you. To subscribe to a printed copy of Parity Magazine visit chp.org.au forward slash parity. This podcast series has been developed by St Vincent's Health Australia. For more information about St Vincent's, visit www.svha.org.au. The music track for this podcast is called Slow Burn by Kevin MacLeod, host of incompetech.filmmusic.io and is licensed under the Creative Commons 4.0 by Attributions Licence. This information, information about our guests and more can be found in the text under the podcast description. Thanks for listening.